Welcome to Camdeners, the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Jeffrey Young. In this podcast series, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden. Today, we sit down with Elizabeth Nielsen, director of the Zabludovich Collection and Art Gallery in the heart of the borough of Camden. Welcome to Camdeners, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. What if you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the world of art? Well, um, so my mum was a, um, a market trader. She dealt in antique textiles. My dad was an antique restorer. So I started to understand the world through the things that people produce. Um, I guess through antiques and collectibles was the, the first way in. Um, but at the same time, my mum was also a member of a really active member of CND, and we were going to Greenham Common, and we were doing like art installations in the in the in the woods there, where the women's camp was, and then on the fences at um, the nuclear base. And, and so, I guess art was just like ingrained in everything. And I, I'm sure my mum took me to galleries, but the first time I really remember going to a gallery was when I actually came up here to university and I started studying art history. So I was interested in it, but I guess I hadn't thought about like contemporary art. So I went to see, um, must have been in the late 90s, um, went to see an exhibition by, by Louise Bourgeois, and I was probably like 20, and I thought, I assumed this artist was like me, the same age, like talking about things that I really cared about, and then it blew my mind when she was in her 80s, and I just got fascinated by how artists communicates across generations and, and kind of beyond our kind of beyond our areas of, of experience and how somebody can speak to you from totally from another generation just by making something. Um, and then I studied art history. I went to do an MA in curating. I was really interested in contemporary feminist perspectives on, on, on art, but also as a way of understanding the world. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, I was really very lucky to have a basis for like, thinking about the world through the material that is produced. Um, and then in terms of my professional career, I, did, I studied and then I went to work at Tate Modern. So I was lucky enough to get on their youth program when I was, at the same time as I saw that Louise Bourgeois exhibition, I, um, I got on their youth program. Um, and it was an incredible experience. They led us free with the collection and also to organize events. So when Tate Modern opened in 2001, I was part of a group of young people who were allowed to do festivals along the South Bank, along Bankside. And I would get my mum in to teach knitting and like thinking about the collection through different perspectives. So really, yeah, I kind of, I was really lucky to have those experiences. Great. And how long have you been at the? Zabludovich collection. So I've been, I've actually been, um, so I was 25 when I met the Zabludoviches. Um, and I say that it was like part luck, part serendipity, but yeah, I was really thinking about what happens to art. So it was about the time that there's this art fair called Freeze Art Fair that opened. Um, but at that time point, I was already working with like small galleries down in Deptford. And, and I'd been doing kind of the London Art Fair, which is an art fair. So I'd been working at, with galleries and doing art fairs and kind of trying to understand where art went. And then this Freeze Art Fair arrived and it was like this international like um, 
community of, of the art world just landed in London. And I just thought, wow, there's so much art that gets made. Where does it all go? And I started to try and meet people who were showing it and also the people who were buying it. So I started to try and interview collectors about what happened, like where art went. Um, and I was trying to get hold of this and this woman, Anita Zabludovich. Everybody told me that she was the female Saatchi and she did. And I thought that sounded a bit like, hmm, I don't know, maybe slightly derogatory. I wasn't sure what the female Saatchi meant. Um, anyway, I was intrigued and I was trying to meet her to interview her. Um, I was actually trying to write a kind of, um, I was working with the sociology department at Goldsmiths where I was studying, trying to write a a competency model for uh, collecting and curating. Like, so trying to understand what is it that what is it that a good collector would do? What is it that a good curator would do? How do, what is like what are the what are the um, what's a, a, a profile look of someone who does that? Um, and so yeah, I I couldn't ever get hold of her, but finally I um, I asked someone to introduce me, and they said that she was looking for someone to work with her, and that's how it started. And you've been there ever since. Um, so yeah, I've been there for 16 years. Um, and when I met them, they, um, yeah, they were looking for someone to run this building that they'd bought here in Camden, this the old, the old drama center on Prince of Wales Road. So I stood up a bit straighter and looked her in the eye and said, "Yeah, I could do that." <laughs> I'm such a big fan. I think I've I've been to nearly every exhibition since. Really? Oh that wow! Time. I'm, That's I'm amazing. Just, Find a little moment and and just uh, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful experience, and it's just it's so precious to the local borough of Camden. Oh well, I hope that you've seen some evolution during that time. So yeah, it's been it's been we've been in that building for fifteen years. So we opened yeah. in two thousand seven, um, and it's yeah, it's a it's like one of those buildings that is a hidden secret. I think in London, we don't have a massive marketing budget. We kind of we try and spend our money on the shows and on supporting artists, but we also we hope that it's like it creeps out slowly to to more people. But it's uh, it is a really interesting building. It's a former Methodist chapel, so for those who haven't been there, it's a really it's got this kind of classical frontage that's quite intimidating in a way. It's quite imposing, but then I hope when you walk in, that kind of layers kind of fall away and you get a good welcome but also you see it's a little bit rough around the edges it's like it's we try and keep it as a space where the art can can do its thing um but also i always say that the building is like another artist in the shows as well it really it's it's something we have to contend with and understand and we have to be respectful of that architecture and so do the artists we have to work with it not against it so we haven't like whitewashed it it's yeah it's rough <laughs> It's a difficult building. It's very hard in terms of access. It's very hard in terms of heating and things like that. It's, it's a challenging building to work with, but it's interesting. Reflecting some of the features of the Borough of Camden. Yes. <laughs> rough yeah. around the edges. Rough around the edges. Yeah, absolutely. That's why, we're, yeah, that's why we're here. And how did the Zabludovich family come to own the building? So it's a, it's a family that um, collect art. They've been collecting art for um, coming up to 25 years. They... Um, aren't just collecting for financial means, they're collecting for cultural means. So when collecting is a really strange, obsessional undertaking, but they essentially are spending most of their time um, thinking about like how to support artists and how to um, create an independent creative community and and, and cultural community in, in London. 
and they don't think that um, uh, it should be completely based on grant funding. They believe that people need to have their own independence. So that's why collecting, so buying and, and putting money into people's pockets and supporting the galleries is a really important part of what they, why they started the collection. Um, and then after collecting for a few years, they decided that they needed somewhere to show some of the young artists that they were working with. And that's when I came into the picture. So they bought the building. We're not really with like a game plan. It was like, this is an amazing building. The building's falling down. It was on the at-risk register. It had been, um, it had, the roof was like caving in, the walls were sodden. Um, and so they decided to like, take this building and take what they love and try and see how they work together. And that's where they, like, I came along and tried to make it, make sense of it all and try and make it work. So it's a really amazing old Methodist chapel that was then used as a drama school. So it's part of the drama school from built in the 1860s and then until the 1960s. It was run by the Methodists and was a traditional um, place of worship. Um, and then in the 1960s, I think, a group of uh, students from Central School of Speech and Drama up in Swiss Cottage, um, their tutor got kicked out, so they tried to find a new place to be taught. And the story goes that they all got, got on their scooter and they like drove around the borough looking for area, somewhere they could use, and they saw this old church, um, and they got permission to use the back room there. Um, and slowly, over the next 10 years, the church left and the drama school took over. And then in, in the late 90s, it became part of Central School of, uh, sorry, um, became part of Central St. Martin's. And then in 2004, they de decided to leave that building and move it to Backhill, Clerkenwell, and then onto King's Cross to the new campus there. So the building was em had been empty for uh, a year and a half. Um, and I, I can see why they left it. It's a challenging building. Um, but yeah, it's a, it has, so it has this kind of like religious and then theatrical history. And now it's got this art kind of, um, life. And I think those kind of stories and that kind of history of kind of storytelling and belief is, makes sense, um, for, for art to be the next episode in that. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I wonder if you'd tell us about your vision for the gallery in terms of the art that you curate. Yeah, sure. Um, so the collection uh, is at the base, like at the, in the background. We don't always show the collection, but the collection is, is collecting the artworks that are made now. And when I say collecting, it doesn't mean um, they're all in one place at one time. They're, like, they're mostly in storage, to be honest. But, and so our job is to try and pull stories from that. Um, and the vision here for the program is to be like, internationally relevant um, as, well as, as well as locally engaged. So London has hundreds of art spaces. It has some of the best museums in the world. It's got the biggest contemporary art museum in the world. You know, the, what Tate Modern has become is like, it's so visionary and so important. But there's lots of different levels. Um, and so we're trying to, um, I guess, find the space and find, find, where, find, find where there's kind of gaps in what, what's being offered. Um, and so essentially we invite artists and curators to make, make exhibitions and then we curate exhibitions ourselves. So there's kind of three sides of it. Um, we have a, a kind of program for artists based in the UK who don't have commercial representation, who are making kind of like unusual performance or like edgy project. Uh, and then every year we invite one artist to make a big solo exhibition. And that usually involves a new commission 
and a more expansive kind of view of their work. And the idea um, with those shows is that they are really pivotal for that artist. So they're giving them an opportunity to develop a side of their practice and to kind of do something that's going to push their practice forward. And then alongside all of that and, and the very integral to the program is working with um, working with uh, art, young artists and curators to kind of be part of their professional development. So we have a professional development program called Masterclass, which is where established artists teach younger artists over a period. Um, and then we've for over a decade have run that. And then we have another program for emerging curators where they get access to the collection and we mentor them through producing an exhibition. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a multi kind of layered uh, project. There's also in programs that engage with local charities and organizations to give them opportunities to show or support artists in residence programs. We kind of work it very responsively to what's needed rather than having like a set thing that happens with like what's necessary. Yeah. And how many exhibitions would you have per year? So we have in the main spaces, we have two to three. And in the smaller invite space, we have um, five to seven. So yeah, we kind of have at most kind of 10 exhibitions a year. We've been open for 15 years and we've done over 100 shows. Uh, and then we support exhibitions elsewhere. So we're always loaning works from the collection to exhibitions around the world. And we do that free of charge. That's kind of a big part of it is that the collection needs to be seen. So we don't want to just hide it away. It's about it going, so trying to get it seen as much as possible. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm a really big fan of, of the gallery. And um, yeah, I just find it so exciting and so refreshing. It just sort of opens my my mind you know i'm just like what am i going to learn here today and i'm always taking something away you know encourage my children to come along and you know they, sort of, they moan and then they get you know oh, you know and then they, and they like then they enjoy it you know um and it's it's about giving exposure i think to to children as well the the, the recent exhibition lu yang i wonder if you tell us a little bit about that it's um for me it's exploring the boundaries of non or the non-boundaries of non-binary. I don't know if what, yeah, yeah. Fluidity, yeah. So, um, so the exhibition we've got on at the moment, the main exhibition is our annual commission. So it's with an um, artist who was born in Shanghai and has now just moved to Tokyo, actually. Um, and the exhibition is called Lu Yang Neti Neti. And Neti Neti is from, from the Sanskrit, uh, which means neither this nor that. So that kind of like ah. element of fluidity is very much based in it. And Lu Yang is an artist who likes to uh, push against all of the um, kind of structures that are kind of around us and, and, and kind of like work with them. And, um, um, and um, I think really their work is, it's actually not that complicated to understand, but when I'm going to explain it, it's probably going to sound like there's loads of like, loads of things you need to know. There's not, you walk in that show you watch any of the videos and it speaks to you in a way that like, you, don't, you don't need any prior knowledge. It's all there laid out right in front of you. It's like a series of clues that you just like, it speaks to you. Um, and so really it's about like trying to understand the human condition. I think it's trying to, trying to think about the construct, constructs that humans have made around them that define who they are and break some of those down. I think that's what they're interested to do. So they are um, an artist who is... Um, constantly experimenting with what their pronoun is. If you read about them, they're often referred to as he. Uh, 
but they're not. They, they like they like to mess around with that. They, they're biologically female, but have have a real interest in like pushing against that. So this idea about like how does one look at the constructs? Um, how do you like speak to people about the very basics of like what it means to be human? Well, their way in is through computer games and through anime and through like music videos. It's through the popular culture that has shaped them. So the things that the way that they've learned about themselves is through those things. Um, and so I mentioned the building is a, a church as well. So it's an old chapel. So Lu Yang wanted to work with the architecture. So that's really like um, shaped how the show is. So we've got these two major spaces. The front space is this kind of chapel space. Um, and the main hall focuses on a new body of work around uh, the artist's own avatar. So they've been making this like version of themselves for the last three years. They started it just before lockdown, but I think it like got hyped up during lockdown and they really went to town on it. And so there's this group of um, avatars called um, Doku um, made using CGI. So the, the artist works completely in um, what's known as game engines. Does that make any sense to people? Game engine is like where computer games are made. Okay. So you can build a whole world and you can populate it with characters and you can na then navigate through it in loads of different ways. So they're built in these game engines, which can be output as a video, it can be output as a VR, it can be output as AR. You can like, it's really flexible. It also can be navigated live. So um, they build it in a game engine and they've built these six characters which um, correspond to the six paths of Buddhist reincarnation. So there's human and animal, there's heaven and hell, and there's Hungry Ghost and Asura. So these like six characters um, all have Liu Yang's face and body. They all have their own little world that they're in. And they also have their own dance. So they're all like, you remember at the beginning of Street Fighter when all the, like, all the fighters are like there bobbing up and down and you have to pick them and they all do a little move. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like you can select your, select your character. Um, and so each of these characters has, has, has a... Um, has her own world, and then in the center of it is this main film on the altar, which is Doku the self. And it's Doku, um, this digital human, is really looking for what it means to be themselves. Who are they? What do they look like? You know, this kind of existential um, search. And they go through all of these different um, avatars. They look at themselves through all of these different kind of thoughts about reincarnation. And Doku, the name Doku, comes from... I am. Um, I mean, I haven't actually, it's, it's, it's dokushu dokushi, which means um, we're born alone and we'll die alone. So this kind of like, there's this kind of, a kind of sadness to the whole thing, but it's, I don't think, um, yeah, I don't think that's off-putting. I think it really pulls, it pulls you in. Um, and so each of, the, each of these kind of characters also appears in different forms in, in the middle gallery where we have this kind of, uh, screening room of 10 years of work by Lu Yang, which then is translated in the back room to another form of temple. So we have the main hall, which is this kind of like temple to Doku the self and Doku and it's, it's like it's versions of reincarnation. And then in the back room, we have a playable games arcade. So another space of like um, finding identity, another place of um, like storytelling and recreation. And, and I think... In there, all of the characters then occupy the games in a way that you can play them and explore them. But they're not like games where there's like a big boss at the end that you've got to kill. They're not playable kind of 
um, winnable games. They're exploration games. So you're exploring the world that um, Luyang has made. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of like double, you get two shows in one, in a way. You get this kind of a quite like moving um, experience about religion and, and, uh, uh, and thinking about oneself in the world. And then in the back room, you get this kind of fun palace. But in the center of the fun palace, there is this three-screen film called The Material World Night, which is um, The Great Adventures of the Material World Night, which is that they're kind of like exploration of like, how is humanity going to save itself? And so it's a, it's a sci-fi in which an AI, two AIs get together to create The Material World Night, who's going to fight, fight world capitalism and, and world suffering and has to go through like levels of... Um, challenges to 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 beat to beat the world to be part of the world that was one of the one of the films there was it it's the big three screen you might not even i mean there's the big, so much in, in that back room. room in the back room oh, that was in the back there's room. actually three big screens in the middle okay. of it that is actually and right. then and then it says then there's three um consoles next to it we can play the game so you can become the material material world knight and battle through all these levels so you have to battle through levels of reincarnation essentially wow. <laughs> there's a lot in there very deep <laughs> there's very so unfair. much in there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I've I've always understood from the the works that you, you know, the exhibitions, very progressive, uh, boundary pushing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of amazing things being done out there that um, that need to be seen, and I think what we're in an amazing position to be able to to take a risk and then we're not commercial space. We're not trying to sell the work. We, we are investing like in this artist in a way that we believe that they've got something to say. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to, um, compete with any of the other kind of, if like, art institutions, we want to support them. So if, if, um, if, if an artist doesn't, you know, if an artist doesn't need to be shown here in London, we, we won't do it. We're bringing people over who we think, like this hasn't been seen. Like Liu Yang is one of the most like interesting artists coming out of China, and just nobody is showing Chinese art in London at the moment. There's so little being shown, and China is obviously really, really important in world politics and on the world stage. And uh, we've just, I think, I mean, like I can't even like go into how I feel about the UK since Brexit, but I think we're we're running towards this really small-minded island mentality and we need places where we can think differently and think outside of that and the museums are, have gone for one line and i think that's also that's fantastic but so we don't need to follow that line we need to think about, about what else how do we become well-rounded humans we understand ourselves in 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 on the global stage um and we have to look at how other cultures and other people are understanding themselves and try and like understand that and then you add what's happening in terms of digital technology and how that's evolving all of us and, and, you know, how we're becoming globally connected humans. And, you know, it's, it's, it's clear to me that we can't ignore um, how people want to be communicated with and how people want to, I mean, like I'm, we've been working with immersive technologies and, and thinking about how people access art for quite a while. We've, we've been making exhibitions, which I would, I would see as kind of like, um, in in line with the, these kind of huge video immersive shows that you see everywhere, which have become advertising, <laughs> but are, we want to keep the content in that and keep the thinking in that and be 
like at the center of um, pushing thought forward rather than just just like surface. So technology is something that is shaping all of our lives, whether we want it or not. And so thinking about how game gaming's gaming is the new religion, how gaming kind of shapes young people, how gaming um, is going to be the important is the most important cultural um, um, instigator of the next next generations. I think that's that's important to understand and and not to shy away from. But also, like the religion is still in there. <laughs> but like, what? How do we understand religion? Like Buddhism and Hinduism are so deeply embedded in Liu Yang's work. Um, so there's an element of like deep um, history and belief and understanding being also kind of paired up with this like new um, new animation, new way, new way that things are looking. So there's this like slippages through time, which I love. Um, and then you add. I'm going to just go on, I think. Then you, then you add how impossible the climate emergency is and how we really need to think about um, how do we get access to um, art around the world now. Um, and so for us, as a, like we're, we're, we take it seriously. We, we buy art and we store it and we have to ship it around the world. That's a lot of, like, that's a lot of energy. Um, that's a lot of responsibility. Uh, and so when we wanted to think about how we would show a Chinese artist, how we would show like what's happening across, uh, like across the other side of the world. Well, also what's, how do you do that in a time when everything's accessible? I think like you can show, you can see Liu Yang's work on the internet without any problem. They've been releasing their work like since 2010, all of their works online. And most of the artists that we show who make videos all of that work's available online. You don't need to leave your home to see the work. You can see the work there. So when you're making an exhibition, what is it that's going to be different about just watching on, like, on your laptop? And that is where this immersive, like, this kind of speaking to people physically becomes really important and using the space. Um, so essentially, we, with Liu Yang, it was like the perfect combination of factors. Um, they just send the files, and then we make everything else here locally so there's no shipping we're employing local people to make the work like with us to, to kind of make the installations and, and um, um the kind of installations that go around the work are, are, are kind of something that we yeah we can just make and store and, and then we can tour those and the artist can just send the files to the show so yeah when they, at the opening Liu Yang said this great thing she was like this is a great collaboration like all I did was send the files yeah, she's not three years making the work, but then literally just hit send. And then we like deal with thinking about, and they designed it with us. I mean, they designed the whole installation with us, but they really like, like used this, they used their kind of like, um, they're obviously very good at conceiving space because they work in game engines and building worlds all the time. So they just built a digital version of the space, like populated it with what they thought would look good in there in terms of seating and lighting and and then we built it. <laughs> and and down, I, I was amazed at down to the level of the the uniforms that your, your yeah, that was staff a bit of a, <laughs> were wearing. That was a bit of a playful thing. We, uh, yeah. Um, I think we we also wanted to make everyone realize that they're all responsible. Like they're part of, you can be part of the work, you can play along with it, you can take it, you can you can go in seriously or you can go in lightly. So yeah, we we did decide to dress the staff in boiler suits which is what one of the characters wears the material world knight does wear a boiler suit yeah maybe that was a bit far i'm not sure <laughs> do, do the artists 
you know, often visit the exhibitions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, in the end, Lu Yang is going to, um, Lu Yang's doing a big project in um, Switzerland in January. So they'll come over in January um, and we'll do a motion capture performance uh, on the 28th of January where we'll have two dancers um, who are live streamed into um, into the uh the game engines are into the world and Lu Yang will be like video editing them so you can see their dancing in in the um in the show in the in the in the in the um space so they'll they'll come over for that it's really i think it's really important to not let go of like human interaction as well in this like it was really important none of us had met Lu Yang uh, when we put we put the show together we'd only met online so it's, it was really important to have a, it's going to be really important to have a time when they're like with us here in London and we can and we can like spend some time together as well. And judging by the um the audiences that I saw on the on the days that I went, um, this has been a very popular exhibition for you. It is it, looking around the demographics, there was a lot of Asian Yeah, there is. It's is this true. A, is this been one of the has is this been one of the most popular, if if that's a word or or, or visited? Um, I think I think we've had yeah our solo shows the, the exhibitions that we do with artists or like solo artists find an audience the the artist usually has an audience we had no idea existed they just like, they're communicating in a way that we can't like it's very hard to map that with social media with the internet like how people are getting access to to um, um, or how people are finding out what they're interested in is is you know the algorithm knows but none of us can really see it um but yeah Liu Yang's exhibition has definitely brought in um a crowd that I don't think like an audience I don't think um we we have accessed before we've had we've had the pleasure of of, of meeting before but then I would say that for every uh, each one of the solo exhibitions when we did a a solo with John Raffman or Ryan Trakant and Lizzie Fitch or um even Andy Holden and Shana Moulton, like the, the people who came are always surprising. Um, and Donna Franca's show when we worked on that a few, like they they have um, they have fans that like we're finding them in their own way. But for sure, this show has brought us back up to kind of pre-pandemic numbers again, which is really nice. And it's made it onto TikTok, which means I have to now engage with TikTok, and that is that. That is like a whole new world. <laughs> and I do think that is a whole new way of thinking about what audiences want out of an exhibition. And that's what I mean about this kind of like the big like things that look good but also give you content are really important. Also give you like yeah. a message and something to think about. And that's why Lu Yang's I think caught people because it it looks like one thing and then you get in it and it's it's giving you it's giving you more. It's giving. It's not just about like gaming. It's giving you like a much more of a philosophical exploration of the world, and I think that's really, really, really rare that you find something that does and that is free. People like that as well. Back to that point about digitization. Is it? Is this an opportunity for the art world, or is this something that you know galleries should be concerned about? Oh. Um, Gallery should definitely be concerned about it, but not because it's a bad thing, just because everyone should be concerned about digital technology and what it's doing to us. I think humans also like think that they're also in 
we also like to think that our generation is the the most most interesting, most like most progressive. There's like the most change happening, but I mean, there's no end of times. We're in the, we're in a constant. We're at the beginning of times. You know, this is not the this isn't. There's nothing. Um, there's nothing to worry about. It is just human evolution. The last exhibition we had was called Among the Machines, and it was about how humans and technology are evolving, kind of like parallel to each other and where they cross over and like i think we try and remain on the optimistic side of of technology as well i think we've got to embrace it there's no point in kind of i think we need to understand it and like you know question it but i think at the end of the day we're we're uh we've all got to embrace and see what it can do for us. So I'm very much of the op- like on the optimistic side of technology um are the arts under threat no, everything's evolving. Art isn't one thing. It's a, it's a, a set of values and ideas out, held up by society, and and those are evolving and are going to change. And technology is one medium. Digital technology is one medium that artists are going to be working with and should be working with. And um, it doesn't make painting less relevant or anything else less relevant. It's just another, just another medium, another tool. We all have to kind of keep exploring what it is that like makes life interesting and and where we're learning about ourselves and i think you know there's um there's uh we'll we'll toggle between i still want us to be able to do sculpture shows and 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 um painting shows at the same time as we work with video and they, they they're not exclusive of one another for sure they need to go together right and just finally kind of the local setting of camden what does it sort of mean to the gallery or, uh, I mean, what percentage of, of visitors might come from within sort of Yeah, that's really hard audience? to, we, we, um, I mean, in terms of, it's really important, it's really important to us that we're in Camden. I think it's shaped, not just the building has shaped um, the program, but being in Camden rather than being in, you know, right in central London, being in a neighborhood means a lot to us and being unafraid to be different and do our own thing comes from a, it's like a Camdener, <laughs> Camdener thing to be, to be not afraid to, um, be yourself and that self not be fully worked out yet <laughs> is also part of it. Like just to be like, um, but also I think that Camden's, it's not known as a cult, as like an art, a visual arts hub. It's known as a music and culture hub. And so having, having that as like, Having that as a background and is really is a really interesting place to be. And there's re- there's lots of really excellent other cultural organisations in Camden and smaller galleries that are starting up. But it's people think of it as music and um, maybe kind of um, urban art and street art rather than like museums and gallery art. Um, but yeah, I think we're we're trying to we're trying to appeal and be. Like interesting to a local audience as well as bring in uh, an international reputa- reputation and international kind of like um, um, audience as well. I would say that mostly our audience is, um, I would say it's, um, I think it's, we're a destination. We're not somewhere that like, very rarely that people are just walking past and like, what's mm. that? <laughs> and pop in. And so people know that we're there. Or, or have found out about us some way. I'd say it's maybe it's hard to put percentages on it, but mm. we have a lot of very faithful repeat visitors who are from the borough and are from the area, 
Um, we do families workshops every every other weekend, and so that brings in the kind of uh, different demographics as well. I think it's it's important to us to to um, remain like in contact and relevant to, to those that are around us. But I can't I can't say the percentage yeah. of how many are local or not. Yeah, finally, just tell us about those family workshops. What? Ah, so all different types of things. We work with artists to respond to the exhibitions that that we do. So they're called Families Creates. We've been probably been running them for nearly a decade and they're for them they're kind of more practical making workshops for people to come and respond to the show uh, and they're always led by an artist who will bring out something different about the exhibition so we've just done one which is about coding but we've, we've got other ones coming up that are much more practical about making and um, um and kind of building puppets and avatars of yourself and so you know thinking on different levels about how that exhibition can be interpreted for different audiences it's really important um, we've got a study day coming up as well. So we do also do things for kind of um, arts, kind of arts engaged audiences as well. So the study day next week is really about, um, there's a lot of research into Chinese video art at the moment. And Lu Yang is being kind of pulled out as one of the most interesting artists coming out of China. So we're going to be exploring that with a group of students from the a group of PhD students from the Courtauld and, and wider who are writing about their work. So that's going to be a really interesting way to dig into the kind of AI and neuroscience aspect of their work and, and think about how it has wider relevance in the um, uh, in culture. Wow. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us here today on Camdenist. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's all this week for Camdeners. Camdeners was recorded in Serendipity Studios in Arlington Road for the Camden Clean Air Initiative. Oh,